Henry Picola is Streamer's co-founder and CEO. He founded Streamer to make real-time data more available, fair, and valuable for all. Joe asked Henry all about data unions and what you need to know about the future of gathering information. They discuss how Streamer is for the real world and how they support and accelerate the birth of Web 3.0, in which decentralized applications can securely exchange data and value. Hello, Henry. Thanks for coming on today. Please start by giving us a brief background about yourself prior to Streamer. All right. So yeah, me in a nutshell. Um, yeah, I'm a Finnish guy based in Switzerland. I'm uh, 37 years old, I think. And uh, I'm a, um, yeah, I'm an engineer by background. So I used to study computer science. I went on to work with data and real-time data quite early on. I used to work in algorithm trading and in the finance industry, building like platforms and algorithms for um, for trading. That was stocks back in the day, not yet crypto, right? Um, and I guess via that background, I realized that there's quite a lot of value in real-time data and automation and analytics and sharing data and this kind of things. And I went on to uh, start a company that was building like a real-time data platform for the cloud, like a centralized one still at this stage uh, and making that kind of no code or low code uh, environments for creating like uh, automation and processes on top of real-time data. And while doing that, there was always this idea of, could we, could we create like a, a platform for, for exchanging data or distributing data, uh, like a, kind of like a global fabric that would allow parties that don't know each other in advance to kind of come together and tap into some uh, data streams that others are offering uh, on that platform. And, you know, we were a small startup, uh, traditional startup at the time, and we realized that, uh, look, like we are too small to build this um, because like no one will trust their, you know, crucial data streams on, uh, on our product. Um, and also somebody very big like Google or Amazon or someone, they also cannot build it because they are big, too big to build <laughs> it because people don't want to trust them either uh, for, for you know, the, the whole goddamn uh, data economy of the future, <laughs> right? They, they already have all the data. So why don't we give them more, right? So, so that also doesn't work. So I guess we figured out that the only way in which uh, that problem could be solved would be to create a neutral protocol that would be open source and decentralized so that the participants run it uh, instead of like us uh, as, as some kind of startup uh, running it. So, you know, it's not a SaaS software, it's a protocol that everyone can participate. And by doing that, we aim to create like a neutral ground where data streams can kind of come together. And there's a bunch of interesting use cases that are unlocked by this and so on and so on. But maybe that's a brief history of, of who I am and how Streamer got uh, got started, I guess. So did you start uh, Streamer yourself or do you have other uh, partners that went on the journey? Yeah, there's a couple couple of guys. It's me. Uh, and then there's a guy called Nick Kanulund, also a Finnish guy. We used to work on that algorithmic trading thing with him like, you know, 10 years ago uh, as well. So we've been working together on, on a bunch of stuff uh, since then and a, and a couple of other key key figures but but it's uh, funnily like a bunch of finnish guys who who got the thing <laughs> got the thing started yeah it's cool and so when did uh when did you guys start yeah so we kind of pivoted and like really started working full-time on this in late 2016 and that's kind of where we in in, in some sense saw the light in terms of like we got super interested about ethereum and smart contracts and what 
they can enable in, in data economies and what kind of data infrastructure can be created around that. And at the same time, the new crowdfunding model, the ICO, of course, was starting to kind of come up. So we, yeah, we somehow combined these ideas and started working on a white paper that came out in May 2017. Then we did in 2017, over summer, we did the private rounds. Then in September and October, we did the public rounds. So by the end of 2017, we had concluded the ICO and raised 30 million in that one for a roadmap that we saw that would take five years. Uh, so it's quite a big, ambitious infrastructure project. And, you know, we knew in the beginning that this is, by the way, not going to be easy, <laughs> right? This will take years. A marketplace years is never easy, right? Yeah, exactly. And it's not just the marketplace, it's actually the underlying infrastructure itself. So Streamer kind of replaces one important function uh, that is currently found in cloud services only. And that is kind of data brokerage function. So you can have like, a, I guess this gets a bit technical, but but the, the way applications typically build data pipelines or real-time data pipelines is that everybody connects to the same point. If you have an audience of 100,000 people for your data, then everyone just yeah. connects to a single server, a single cloud service or whatever, and, and gets the data via, via that. But in a decentralized setting, it's so that the source actually distributes the data first to you know, a couple of uh, peers, and then those peers distribute it to a couple of, of others and then they distribute it on to a couple of others until everyone has received the message. So it's a much more scalable paradigm. And in, if you do it like this, then you don't need to rely on a middleman. You don't need this central point at all. So it's a kind of data broadcast protocol built on the lower layers of the internet itself. And you can do a lot of things on this and we can discuss use cases uh, in a bit. But I think that's the kind of thing to take away that it's like a core building block of web three and, and distributed uh, data sharing and, and that kind of stuff. So yeah, I don't know. Um, maybe I could walk you through a couple of use cases or how it kind of appears. So one way that people tend to understand real-time data or, or streaming real-time data is like it's uh, it's like a chat for machines of sorts. You know, you have you can have direct messages or you can have group chats, <laughs> all the familiar stuff, right? Uh, but the difference between human chats uh, and machine chats is that the machine chats can happen very quickly, and there's a large volume of information and messages that that flow through. And the important point of such communication is that it allows automation, right? Um, connections where applications or devices talk to each other uh, to coordinate or inform actions or, or gather data or, or whatever. And this has quite a lot of value in, the, in, in various kinds of data economies that are emerging in different business verticals. And um, maybe the familiar example from the old world, right? The, the Web2 world is that we are used to real-time data being connected to uh, advertising, right? Ad tech, tracking users, very problematic use case that powers and funds the, you know, the, big, uh, the big internet giants today. Uh, but the important thing to realize is that that's not the whole story, right? And that's not the end of the line at all. And what we've seen so far is kind of like a tip of the iceberg in terms of uh, how data can be used. And, and it's very interesting when Web3 and decentralization kick in, because with these protocols and end-to-end -end encryption and that kind of stuff, uh, data can be actually shared and monetized without giving it away to third parties or without relying on these third parties to, to 
distribute or process or, or, or do whatever uh, for that data. And, you know, for example, you could build some uh, smart traffic systems where devices built by different companies could alert each other about dangers or obstacles or, or you know, traffic jams or whatever, like a uh, urban city bikes could broadcast their GPS location to alert cars that, you know, there's like a bike coming at high speed from around the corner and stuff like that, you know, so it's, uh, and, you know, the bikes and the cars are made by very different companies that don't share any technical infrastructure as such, but with like a, a common ground, a common protocol, these kind of applications are straightforward to build. You know, your, your doctor could securely receive and process and monitor your heart rate sensor data in real time and automatically get alerted if there's something wrong. Or, or crowds of people can share data streams together to achieve density in data to, for example, reveal, well, let's say, uh, let's say there's a ride hailing uh, uh, company, for example, and they, they subscribe to location density data provided by masses of people to learn where people are and optimize where their drivers are on standby waiting for rides, right? So it makes sense to hang around some places where there's a lot of people compared to uh, places where uh, there aren't that many people at the time and, and this kind of things. Yeah, I guess my point is that the scope of where real-time data can be used uh, is very broad. And there are use cases both in the real world or, or meat space, as some people call it, <laughs> as, as well as the purely online or, or crypto space. There's even one team, they're building like a, a feature for NFT marketplaces where users can chat with the creator or owner uh, of an NFT. And the cool thing is like it's fully trustless so that the identity of participants can be uh, cryptographically verified. Uh, you can see that, the, you know, the address of who you're chatting with matches the address that owns the NFT, basically, uh, and there's no middleman involved. So, you know, that's like a very innovative use case on the crypto island, and the the kind of span of the technology goes goes as far as you know the traditional interest industries and you know smart traffic, smart health, uh, telecom. These kind of opportunities are out there, um, but yeah, the traditional industries are a little bit wary about crypto still at at this time, I guess. So it takes time yeah, for that. That's going to uh, take some time. Which <laughs> adoption is, to take place. Which is a good question. You mentioned ride hailing, yeah. advertising. So, you know, we think of like Uber, Google, Facebook, uh, where they're aggregating your data and so forth and not paying you for it. And, you know, uh, a lot of decentralized movement is around uh, people, you know, getting paid for their data. I mean, what are the actual steps so people can maybe help visualize? that are need to be put into place kind of for us to actually get on the other side of getting away from Facebook and Google. And can we build the right product that is kind of frictionless, that is easy to use by the consumer, that they're willing to leave those and how long might that even take? Yeah, it's, it is definitely possible uh, and it can be done right now, uh, actually. The, and even, uh, even in my least favorite use case, advertising, uh, it could be done right now. But of course, the giants are not doing it because they, they can get what they need already without paying <laughs> the users, right? So yeah. part of the responsibility, I think, is with, with the users, with the consumers. We just need to demand better things, right? And be active uh, on that front. And there's, for example, um, 
There's one team that's building on our technology called Swash, uh, and that's one example of a data union. And we didn't discuss data unions yet, but it's like a lot of people coming together to combine their data, right? And Swash in particular, they they collect browsing data. So, so you install a plugin into your browser, uh, and that's like super transparent in terms of what data it's collecting. It basically shares what websites you visit. And this information becomes really interesting for all kinds of market research and competitor analysis and could be maybe even used for, for ads if there was like a targeting information or some way to kind of get back to the user, which I don't think there is at the moment. It's kind of very anonymous at the moment. Uh, but anyway, that's just an example of how similar kind of data that is currently just collected from you, buried in some terms and conditions <laughs> of using certain applications could actually work in your favor uh, because the data unions framework allows users to get paid. So when you opt into this, you're knowingly sharing your uh, in this case, web behavior. Uh, and that gets kind of bundled into a data product that gets sold in a data marketplace, you know, either the streamer marketplace for streaming uh, real-time data or as a data set on ocean marketplace or whatever marketplace, it doesn't really matter. Uh, but the key thing is that when a, when a transaction happens, when somebody buys access to that data, the users get rewarded, you know? So if there's 100,000 people and somebody pays 100,000 bucks for accessing the data, then everyone gets one dollar basically so it's a, it's like a shape of revenue sharing and when you do this with crypto uh, it suddenly becomes feasible like you wouldn't you wouldn't ever do this with fiat it just doesn't scale you can't have micropayments it doesn't make sense to send like three cents to some some you know a million people right that, that's just Ooh. insane but with crypto it actually is possible so you can allow those earnings to accumulate into your wallet and then when you have some meaningful amount there uh, then you can kind of withdraw it and you know do whatever you want you can swap the coins to some some other coins or or whatever right so i think the adoption of that kind of stuff will also take time because the you know the mainstream user is not quite yet familiar with crypto and they they are used to being they're used to they like <laughs> ironically they're used to their data just being stolen <laughs> yeah of them. course they are because it's free it's free <laughs> right. and frictionless right it's free right. and frictionless <laughs> right and they don't know that they they could actually like earn something from it but like getting in touch with crypto is a barrier still today, right? It's not, it's not simple and people don't know like, hmm, is it better that I just give my data away or is it better that I get crypto? Somehow they're not, there's no obvious choice for the normal person because they don't really know crypto. But for, for us, it's obvious that, hey, of course you should get paid for your data, like what the hell? So do you think, <laughs> do you think as more, uh, I guess we'll call it applications are built over the next five to 10 years, uh, different blockchain applications, the use of uh, tokens and through those applications will uh, allow the adoption to happen easier, you know, over the next 10 years or kind of what do you think from a time frame? I, I, I think so. I'm 100% certain of that. Like the reach of crypto is increasing all the time, right? And there's even some kind of things happening like the CDBC, the central bank digital currencies. And now this is, this is probably an unpopular opinion in the crypto space, but I think that stuff is good from the point of view that it will make more people familiar with crypto, right? They will have wallets in their phones and those wallets will perhaps be there initially for the purposes of facilitating the, the CDBCs, but those same wallets can be used to interact with dApps and hold, you know, hold Ether, hold Bitcoin, hold data tokens, hold uh, anything you want. And people will suddenly develop this familiarity that they can actually like uh, control digital assets 
in their wallets uh, instead of relying on banks and credit cards for doing that. So yeah, I think there will be a major, major, major change in the next five to 10 uh, years. And by that time, even the enterprises will be on board uh, for sure. How is Streamer uh, you know, set up or where is it located? So we have headquarters in Switzerland, in Zug, uh, which they call the Crypto Valley. <laughs> There's a bunch of other projects there, like uh, Web3 Foundation, Aragon, and, and so on and so on. Um, but we, uh, we have only quite a small team there on site. So we are rather distributed. We are around 30 people. Uh, so in Switzerland, we have four. In Finland, we have something like uh, 10 or ish, 10 ish, yeah. let's say. <laughs> and then the rest are just distributed all over. You know, we have people in the US, Australia, Germany, Poland, you name it. Uh, so quite remote first, even before the COVID times, but obviously now, now uh, even more so. And the team size is kind of stable. So we're just like um, going through our roadmap. It's now like, um, yeah, we started in late 2017. So there's 18, 19, 20, 21. We're on our fourth year out of, out of our five-year roadmap. So kind of re starting to reach the end of the initial roadmap next year, a couple more milestones remaining on that, uh, on that track. And uh, one big one will be uh, reached this year um, in, the, in the late summer that will mark the true decentralization of the network. So people can actually start running nodes in the network and, and so on, and like really participating. And um, so how do you guys manage the treasury, I guess, for that five-year period and kind of was, is that, uh, does the treasury allow you to extend past that? Yes, uh, that's an interesting question. So the initial ICO funding, we kind of projected for, for five years. And we were quite careful in terms of stabilizing that. So, so we've been holding the funds that we raised in mostly fiat, uh, just to make sure that the, you know, the market <laughs> crashes uh, don't affect our ability to deliver. And even though we also missed out on some profits, of course, on that uh, in the kind of craziness of 2017, 18, like right after the ICO. Yeah. Uh, I think it was the right choice because then in 2018, the market like did the big crash and a lot of projects were in trouble because they, uh, they didn't play it safe. Uh, but we did, so I'm happy about that. But it also means that we have like a finite treasury in terms of like, you know, this, the project will run out of money uh, or at least the ICO money at some point. Uh, but at, at that time, the project will be basically like 1.0 version. And in that sense, complete and then entering it like a like a long-term development mode and actually right now the or very recently the governance process of streamer which is which functions like a DAO so people can vote with their tokens about proposals and they pass a proposal to raise kind of long-term fund so there's a, a kind of supply of 100 million tokens today worth like 11 million or so to be sold in a kind of not like a second ICO, but uh, but more like one on one deals with VCs uh, and other whales to raise additional funds. And then the plan is to uh, kind of invest those funds in DeFi uh, to have them generate like a stable revenue and then use those uh those income streams to fund the long-term <laughs> development of streamer. So kind of we can create like an infinite uh, kind of infinite runway for the project because our burn will also go down quite a lot when we reach the end of the roadmap. You know, what is expensive is building the thing. Uh, but once we've built the thing and we just keep improving it, uh, you know, that will be a lot cheaper. So I think that's a pretty solid approach as long as there's like reasonable uh, yields to be earned from uh, from DeFi or other investments. And I but think as, we, as we, yeah. we've been seeing, it's going to fluctuate over the years, you know? The market's oh, going to go sure. up and down, right? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and you know, we're not talking about speculating on the you know the the hottest new decks or or, or whatever, but rather like stable coin based uh, investments and you know lending and that kind of stuff. So it will be quite stable, earning you like five to ten percent per year or something like that. Uh, but it's still like a lot better than um, than traditional investments. So yeah, it does provide like a potential for for long term funding for for projects. So let's see how that turns out. It's quite an interesting decision uh, from the token holders that you know they 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 accept a certain uh, it, it's like a ten percent supply increase in uh, return for potentially funding the project forever. You know that, that's a very good trade off. I think so. So yeah, I think we have a good community of token holders that can make even difficult decisions, uh, and you know that that's somehow reaching the ideals of uh, of a crypto project. I think that people are not just blindly looking at you know, oh, I'm gonna get uh, you know diluted or whatever, but really just like what adds the most value to a project, right? And and people are prepared to stand by that uh, those choices, and that's amazing. But I mean, I guess they're not. I mean, in a sense, they're getting diluted. But in a sense, they're not going to be released because they're pretty much locked up in the treasury, uh, right? Uh, yes. So, so it depends on what kind of deals we can make with uh, with the investors. So, typically, there would be like a lockup period, uh, and in return for that, perhaps a slight discount from the market price. Uh, so, you know, it works both ways. Um, we can also do like OTC just uh, at market price to make it easy for people. But I think that like discount plus lockup is uh, you know is a good model for approaching that but we're not in a rush to execute that kind of uh plan it's more like we're going to raise that long-term fund over this year and next year it's more like a you know, slow slow process for, for that have you guys worked with any uh, notable vc so far or have you only done your raising through the ico yeah it was the ico but there was there was plenty of uh parties who were involved from the beginning we don't know them all actually because you know we did the ico uh, in in partnership with uh, like a regulated institution, Bitcoin Swiss in, in Switzerland. So they did the KYC and AML and all of that. So uh, in the ICO, we have like limited visibility to who actually <laughs> bought the token. We're kind of isolating ourselves from from that. But you know, there's there's a bunch of VCs like the the Fabric VC guys and so on who are uh, who are token holders uh, as well. So is there any uh, geographic restrictions to the token or the, the project at all with regulations? Oh, in the beginning there was for sure, uh, as there was this like public offering, but uh, but right now it's just like uh, secondary markets and and that kind of stuff. So we're no longer in control of of that. And for this for this new program uh, of uh, of raising the long term fund, that's going to be like one on one, and you know mainly professional investors or accredited investors <clears throat> that kind of type. So we'll we'll consider it on a case by case basis. No particular geographic restriction on that, as it's not like a public offering of any kind. And you mentioned yeah. vo voting on that <clears throat> proposal to raise capital. Can you kind of go into I guess that structure of you know how the decisions are made for Streamer? Yeah, I can briefly outline the governance structure. So we use the, the snapshot tool. Uh, it's familiar from many other projects. It's basically like an off-chain voting tool. So, so people can submit proposals and anyone can actually submit proposals. So if you have something that you want to propose for Streamer, then you can actually do that. And then it's up there uh, for a period of time when people can kind of go and vote with their wallets. So you have a bunch of wallets, uh, sorry, a bunch of tokens in your wallet. Uh, there's one, one token, one vote, right? So, uh, you know, you go, you sign a, you don't sign a transaction, but you sign like a payload. Uh, 
So it's it's free to vote. Even even during the times of crazy gas prices on Ethereum, voting uh, is free on this tool. So that's great. Uh, otherwise, I don't think we'd have much voting activity <laughs> if it costs like hundred bucks to vote, <laughs> right? <laughs> but but yeah, it's it's free on Snapshot, and then it just kind of calculates the result, and and we as the kind of uh, team that's carrying out the decisions, we are committed to following the decisions that uh, that the DAO or the token holders community makes. So that we just started this like real uh, voting process this year, early this year. So there's been six six governance proposals so far. And we have like quarterly voting cadence or, or schedule that in every quarter, there's like a you know set of proposals. Uh, and then we make some noise about it. Like, hey, now it's time to vote again. These are the proposals and people come in, click, 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 click their opinions. And then there's an outcome. And then we follow that outcome and try to execute it. Did you mention what the uh, minimum requirements are for somebody to submit a proposal? Do they have to hold a certain amount of tokens or? Yeah, there is a threshold just to try and kind of filter out the spam. But they, you know, the the th- threshold is not very high. It's like you need to have like a thousand bucks worth of tokens, or or maybe it was even less. But we intentionally wanted to make quite a low threshold for participation uh, because I know that there's you know a lot of people in the community that have high interest in the project and want to build stuff, but they don't necessarily have such uh, such big uh, bags of tokens. Right, so we try to like keep the re- uh, threshold to participate quite quite low. All right, and so I guess let's go into some of the uh, you know competitors and how you guys differentiate yourself from like Ocean Protocol or other decentralized data marketplaces. Yeah, sure. So our main competitor is by far the, the cloud services in Web two. So that's who we're really like competing against. We want to replace these data centers with peer to peer networks, and that's the kind of short summary of it. Um, and then. Like if you think about the stuff that comes on top of the infrastructure that we're building, the streamer network itself, there's like a data marketplace, for example, and that uh, corresponds to to something that, for example, the Ocean Protocol has. So they only build a marketplace, and we also have a marketplace. But it would be a misconception to think that we are competitors because for us the marketplace is not the main thing. It's kind of like um, you know, it's a use case, not the not the main thing. Uh, right. Um, but the difference in the marketplace spectrum is that the streamer marketplace is focused on real-time data streams, whereas the ocean marketplace uh, is is focused on, on data sets, static files, this kind of thing. Then there's a project, for example, IOTA. Uh, many, many people know that one that is also kind of in the same sphere, I guess, in the crypto space, in the sense that they're thinking about IoT use cases, they're thinking about machine to machine, but they, you know, they're building... Uh, kind of blockchain or DAG, uh, uh, so it transporting data is is maybe like a secondary thing that you would do with IOTA, whereas transporting money would be a primary thing that you would do there, uh, if if I understand correctly. Whereas with Streamer, it's all about data, right? It's only you know it's not a blockchain. You know you don't send uh, you don't send money or tokens on Streamer. We we're like a companion network for Ethereum and other blockchains. Uh, currently Ethereum, where the kind of value transfers happen on the companion blockchain, whereas the data itself gets distributed on on the streamer network, right? So instead of doing like a one protocol to rule them all a kind of approach or a monolithic thing, um, we are kind of just solving like a particular problem and tying it with uh, other things that exist in the space. And there's there's many example, ex- examples already from 
use cases that, for example, might use the streamer network to collect data from users in a crowdsourcing uh, scenario, for example, like the Swash team that I mentioned earlier, that would uh, also sell the data on Ocean Marketplace, right? So it, you know, it just all works uh, together uh, in within uh, an ecosystem like Ethereum. Now, I guess with you know, there's so many areas to, to get the data, right? There's so many potential, I guess, uh, customers on that side. How do you guys narrow? How does it? How do you kind of narrow into your? first group to go after? Is that like the union's job, trying to create the unions? Or like, how do you kind of focus on certain things to go after first? Because obviously it's just a big world, right? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, for sure. It is, it is. And we've we've gone through a couple of different stages in our adoption strategy, actually. Like we started with trying to go into the enterprise mm. and especially looking at things like, uh, you know, for example, traffic and smart, you know, connected cars and this kind of stuff. And in general, the smart cities and IoT uh, kind of stuff. Um, and that's where our narrative started. And we had some success there. But what we found out is that the enterprise sector is not quite ready for this stuff yet. You know, it's just too early. They, uh, especially with COVID, they, you know, uh, they started holding back a little bit. You know, all the innovation budgets, all that stuff, uh, you know, that was put on pause. Right, because they just don't know what's going to happen. The world was too too volatile. Yeah, that stuff is still proceeding. But in the meanwhile, the crypto space has blossomed since last summer with the you know with the DeFi stuff and the whole new bull market and, and you know boom in in crypto. And a lot of new stuff has been invented here, right on our turf. So you know we kind of brought ourselves back a little bit to the crypto island to focus on on crypto use cases and you know grassroots level builders and finding like the novel ideas that can from day one benefit from this kind of new technology so that's what we're focusing on uh, at the moment and in the meanwhile kind of uh, also like maintaining the talks with the enterprise and the traditional industries building like bigger use cases but those do happen uh, very slowly now there's a bunch of stuff that's going on uh, in that area, but it's only a handful of uh, of things at the end of the day. Like it's no longer, you know, in 2018 in the bull run, like you know, every everyone and their dog wanted to partner with you uh, and you know make some news and announcements and, and and stuff like that. But it was quite a lot, just paper. You know, it was a lot of noise uh, out of nothing, and we didn't find that to be very productive. So we, we kind of stopped that thing and focused more on like serving actual use cases in the real world, like people who actually, you know, take the thing and build something on top of that and have an idea. And, and to support this, we also created like a fund, it's called the data fund where builders can apply for grants to, to uh, build stuff. And there's still actually like 700,000 bucks in that fund, like undistributed. So yeah, if you have ideas for anyone who's listening, if you have ideas to build on top of streamer, then do, do apply. Happy to receive applications. I guess, what are some of the applications that uh, you see that would be a benefit to streamer that need to be built out? Yeah, it's not an easy question to answer because only the imagination is the limit. Like I'm coming from the finance space originally. So I was like initially thinking stuff like, you know, trading and, and whatever for streamer. But turns out the truth is that people come up with crazy ideas like this, uh, you know, chat thing where you can chat with creators of NFT or, you know, powering some real-time uh, NFT art stuff or, or, or whatever. It's just, uh, it's like, it's a very generic thing. It's like a foundational protocol. So it's very hard for me to say how it 
should be used. But in, in general, the, the use cases where I think where uh, most added value uh, comes compared to centralized solutions is the type of use cases where there are multiple stakeholders involved, like a consortium of companies who want to do data sharing among each other or data crowdsourcing where hundreds of thousands of people uh, together provide data streams. Or, or, but, but at the end of the day, it could also just be a decentralized chat application or something like that that is very like human-centric and not that you know, not that machine to machine uh, thing that we kind of had in mind <laughs> in the beginning. So, you know, if you compare it to a database solution, uh, it's like asking like, hey, what should this database be used for? Yeah. And the people who build the database, they have no idea because yeah. they're, they're thinking about primitives, right? They're, they're thinking about building blocks. And when, when you're building building blocks, you have some ideas uh, about how those building blocks might be used. But at the end of the day, it's the people who get their hands on those building blocks who figure out uh, what can be built, right? Uh, I'm not sure if, you know, Vitalik and the guys, when they came up with Ethereum, maybe they didn't think about all the stuff that's happened since, <laughs> right? It, it, it's just impossible to predict. Uh, but, but, you know, the general shape of things you can, you can realize. And, you know, for Ethereum, the guys probably realized that, okay, yeah, like trustless transactions is good and creating this kind of, uh, you know, code-based uh, autom automatons where, you know, you put in money and, and something comes out. And, you know, these kind of things are conceptually very good fits for smart contracts. Uh, and, you know, by, by analog for, for streamer, the kind of things where you have multiple stakeholders, you're broadcasting data to a large group of uh, audiences, um, and that kind of stuff are like the, you know, the home turf, uh, so to say, because these kind of use cases are very hard to do with, uh, with centralized solutions. Where do you see uh, the specific areas that you see data currently coming from to the marketplace at this time? The marketplace is, uh, it's quite early for that, I think. The marketplace only has like a, a bunch of use cases and the world is not, not quite there yet, uh, I think. But, you know, it's, it's an emerging trend. But otherwise, uh, in terms of data on the streamer network, I think one key source is the kind of personally sourced data. So, so especially with data unions, like web behavior data, what apps you use, uh, you know, there's, there's that kind of stuff that's kind of sensitive from like a data privacy point of view and GDPR and, you know, California has its privacy act and people are becoming just more aware about uh, how personally identifiable or personally sourced data or where the data subject is a person uh, can be and should be used. And I think this kind of technologies offer really good solutions for more ethical and more controlled usage of that kind of data. So that's one clear source. And then there's then, then there's other industries uh, that have similar properties. Like for example, health data is very interesting, very restricted, very regulated, very controlled, uh, very much needs new solutions, right? The old solutions do not work for, for health data because you have to jump through so many hoop, hoops to make it like compliant with, with regulation. But if you can have, uh, Decentralized networks where data is end-to-end -end encrypted, uh, data producers are in control of the data and can you know, regulate who can access the data, who can't access the data, where the data is stored, these kind of things. You suddenly get like a toolkit for being compliant with, uh, with the data regulations. And, and that's great. And I think like uh, I, I initially thought that the adoption would come from less regulated data, right? Because it's just easier to work with that kind of data that is not so sensitive. But turns out, actually, the adoption is coming from 
the direction of the most sensitive data uh, because that type of data needs new solutions, right? Uh, so that's kind of interesting, uh, interesting surprise, I think. Yeah, the healthcare data, man, that's that's one I always complain about. You know, you want to f move around and go to different doctors and everything, your, your stuff so right. uh, fragmented all over the place that you don't have easy access to it in one file. Yeah, for sure. And very important, like imagine how much, you know, research opportunities and medical advancement is being lost just because data is not available. Uh, and why is it not available? It's not available because it's too hard to share. Like the, the only options that, you know, hospitals and, you know, medical device manufacturers have is to build silos because that's the only, you know, thing that, that is even remotely compliant with, uh, with what it needs to be. Um, there's a project that we're working on in, a, in as part of consortium, and the, uh, the project is called Kraken, uh, not to be confused with the crypto exchange Kraken, but it's a uh, project funded by the EU and the Horizon 2020 program. And the uh, goal there is to build exactly like a medical data marketplace, you know, that that would source data from uh, like medical environments, like actually hospitals, and you know, there's connected devices producing data about patients all the time. This data could be uh, leveraged and analyzed and, you know, you can plug in an AI and, and have it learn some stuff or analyze some, uh, you know, threats from the data or, or whatever. Uh, but it's very tricky to obviously build uh, this kind of thing. Um, but I'm glad that the kind of uh, governments and the EU level is very interested in supporting the research and development of this kind of technology, because I think it will add a lot of value in the future and make our lives like better and healthier and, and all of that. So there's like a true opportunity i think to yeah really like improve the world i guess <laughs> but yeah it has many moving parts it's always some politics or governmental body that uh needs to get out of the way a little bit right yes yes yeah it, it kind of works both ways so as you guys uh you know are working on your roadmap i mean how do you see how will a streamer make money or sustain itself so there's there's two two answers to that question. One of them we kind of discussed, like how does the project fund its development in the long term? And the answer to that was to raise the long term fund and try to get kind of like an income stream from that. And the other option or the other answer is the streamer token economics. So in the streamer network, when people run nodes, uh, they are able to earn tokens and in in return, they provide a service to the network, which is basically bandwidth. So they kind of mine they they mine mine with their bandwidth so to say you know so you know it's not like bitcoin where you're you have a proof of work system and then you're burning energy to secure the network but on streamer you're actually like relaying data uh, so you're contributing your bandwidth to the network uh, to help it do its thing which is to to broad, broadcast data to those who are interested in in that data uh, and in that way we create like an incentive for people to participate so the people who uh Kind of want quality of service for their streams they pay into it uh, kind of like a protocol fee and those protocol fees goes to the miners so it's like a closed loop of sorts so we don't get money from that uh, but the people who run the nodes uh, get money from that of course we can run nodes as well right so you know that's uh, but streamer is um quite far from a traditional business in the sense that we don't think like we don't think customers or revenue streams per se we think more about like creating value ecosystems and open source and token economies and how can we create like a, a token economical game or system that uh, benefits the all the participants in it 
Uh, and we're going to have like staking as well. So if you don't want to run a node by yourself, you can, but, but you have tokens. So you can stake your tokens on a node, kind of like in a proof of stake uh, type of fashion, even though the streamer network doesn't form consensus or anything like that. So it's not really proof of stake, but, but still you stake uh, your nodes, uh, your, your tokens on a node, and you can earn like a yield from that because you get like a share of whatever that node is earning. Uh, so it's kind of similar to what the graph or live peer, for example, have in their token economics as well. What are uh, what are they seeing as a yield currently? Uh, it's not it's not up yet. So this is what we're building okay. at the moment. So it's kind of hard to say. It depends fully on the on the supply and demand uh, for uh, for that stuff, and we just don't know yet. But of course, we're hoping that it will be you know something meaningful meaningful. But you know. Who knows, really? It will probably start small. Maybe you'll earn like one, two, three percent. Who knows? But if we can build up more demand for for the protocol, uh, and there's not like an oversupply of the people who run nodes or whatever, then it, it can be pretty significant. But it's it's just completely unknown at this time. All right. And we mentioned the uh, data unions, and you mentioned one specifically, right? Um, yeah. Can you kind of go into what is their role? Yeah, again, it's like an application on top or a higher level uh, uh, framework. So how a data union typically works is that, you know, there's an application that collects the data, whether it's a mobile application or a plugin of sorts or, or whatever, there's like the data collector. And you would, you know, if you have a use case, you would get this data collector to the hands of, of many people. You know, if, uh, if you are your own product, like if you're Tesla and you have Tesla cars out there, uh, then you could just deploy this uh, data collector to the car and that would send the data to a stream on the streamer network. And then there's a structure on top that's basically like a smart contract on Ethereum that manages the user's like consent as well as the revenue sharing. Uh, so when when data comes in, you know, a big bunch of data comes, uh, sorry, big bunch of money comes in from a buyer, for example, uh, the smart contract just kind of handles their uh, distribution of that money to the, the active members in the data union. So it's kind of like a, well, it's kind of like an airdrop tool, uh, to be honest. So, so but, but you would do like continuous airdrops to big masses of people who are providing now, data, right? Yeah. Does a data union, it's aggregating enough data in order enough, uh, big enough that someone in the marketplace will come and purchase it, correct? Exactly. That... Exactly. Like one person's data is not very interesting as a data product, but a million people's uh, data suddenly is a quite interesting data product usually so that's the point that you kind of you get density by by reaching a a kind of critical mass of of people or density to have like a valuable data product regardless of what the you know what the data actually is uh you know whether it's for market research or you could have a data union with uh you know people having some temperature sensors on the top of their roof, and then you'd get like real-time temperature measurements globally. But clearly, if there's just one people who has a sensor somewhere in uh, in uh, Tug, uh, it's not super interesting. But you know, <laughs> if you have a million uh, sensors distributed all over the world, then you suddenly have like a, a million weather stations and you can measure stuff uh, from, from that and, you know, improve your predictions or, or whatever, or, or pollution sensors, or maybe you have cars driving around and detecting potholes or, or mobile network coverage measurements or, you know, other environmental stuff. It, it can be uh, the sky's the limit. And these kind of data sets don't exist. 
they don't exist. No one has this data uh, because it's there's no incentive for people to provide the data until now, right? So, so that that kind of model can, uh, yeah, it can create completely new types of data sets. So, what will be the? Uh, I guess a data union kind of aggregates that data, and, and what what do you expect? Kind of like a revenue share for them to. Uh, aggregate it and then do they also try to shop it to the you know best bidders on a marketplace or how does that yeah, process the data work? unions are usually like startups so so they have a team they build the uh, they build the data collecting app they try to grow the the user base and uh, find buyers for the data and they take a cut so so they can determine what the percentage is but the typical one for example is that 30 percent of the money goes to the data union the team and 70% goes to the members who are providing data, right? But the split could be different. It could be 50-50 or 20-80 or, uh, or, or whatever. And yeah, and actually we're like mm, in another <coughs> governance decision that I didn't mention, mention yet is to spin off the data unions uh, framework to its own project. So we're actually like, we had been developing data unions as a use case inside the streamer project. But now there will actually be a, a new project with its own token uh, that uh, kind of takes the data union framework uh, and, and builds it further. So still building on top of Streamer because it's on a higher level, right? Uh, but, but, you know, becoming its own thing. So it's kind of nice to see that, hey, there was this like wild idea or, or wild kind of higher level infrastructure thing that we built and now it became its own thing and, you know, it can grow from there. So this is happening uh, also like right now. Do you think that there's, you know, what at least came to my mind and just thinking of these data union is it's almost like a centralized service. I don't, you know, in a sense, it's kind of aggregating this data from all of the users, but, and then it's kind of selling it to a marketplace. Is there any uh, way where like maybe a centralized service kind of brings the, what they're doing here into this type of framework? So they're, so yes. they, yes. they're like centralized service, but they want to now allow their, customers to participate in exactly. a revenue share and they can use this framework. Yes, yes, yes. It's it's absolutely spot on. So so for example, just uh, one example that's super interesting is the telecom industry. So they have masses of users, right? Uh, you know, mobile network operators, uh, but they cannot do anything with the data that they collect. Really, it's very regulated as well. And there's no way for them to reward their users for uh, providing some less regulated type of data, uh, uh, and there's yeah, there's no incentive. It's it's not happening right now. But in particular, I think the telcos would be like the perfect audience for uh, onboarding onto something like this and creating a pilot program just to test it out. Uh, and we actually were in talks with GSMA, the global. Um, Association of of MNOs or mobile network operators exactly on on this topic, uh, but yeah, the COVID also kind of yeah stalled that one. But I think it's still a great idea to to test out. But like I said, the big enterprises who already have millions of users, they are a little bit still wary about onboarding into something that a has to do with crypto, two can potentially disrupt their existing business models, even though, of course, in this case, the goal would be to create a new business model or new revenue stream for those telcos and allow them to also do that revenue sharing with their customers. And eventually you could, like, if the, if the value of data is significant enough, you could even have, like, 
you know, it's a crazy idea, but, but, you know, right now you're paying for your mobile plan, right? Whatever yeah. you're paying, maybe 20 bucks, 30 bucks, 50 bucks per month, something like that. What if the mobile plan was free or you would earn money from using a mobile plan? Uh, because the cost of providing the service would be offset by the value of data that can be collected, uh, right? So, you know, in the future, we might have just free mobile plans for everyone if you consent to Sorry. participating in, in that data collection, whether it's anonymous or whatever, you know, there's many options. Um, or there could be a, a paid option, but both are a, a viable alternative for, for example, advertising-based solutions, which I think people are so sick and tired of that, you know, they don't want to see another ad in, in any freemium app <laughs> ever again. So, so it's just not, it's not the only game in town. And I think this kind of new patterns and new technologies can unlock things uh, much like way beyond advertising. When it comes to big tech antitrust and data privacy, I guess, you know, what is your opinion there? And can any of this affect what you're doing for the years to come? Well, first of all, I think the, the increased regulation around personal data is a good thing, yeah, for sure. Like it does, it's a bit of a curveball also for decentralized technology because usually the people who draft the laws and the regulations, they don't really understand decentralized technology and don't consider that. I think that was fairly obvious in GDPR, uh, which is now a relatively old piece of regulation that uh, left a lot of open questions about how is the law interpreted interpreted in decentralized networks is every ethereum node a data processor if i happen to put some personally identifiable data in there you know can i can i make the whole ethereum network illegal by posting my name and phone number onto a smart contract right so you know there's uh, very mm, it's very unclear uh, but that thing is developing, I think, and we and a bunch of other crypto projects have been in uh, in those tables that are like working on new regulation uh, in the EU to support this kind of stuff better. And I think the, the one of some of the key achievements there will be uh, in relation exact, exactly to the to the internet giants and other centralized hoarders of of people's data in that uh, they will need to open up the, the the kind of data silos. They will need to offer APIs from where uh, people can exercise the data portability rights. And this is very good for all kind of data sharing and especially data unions where people could, you know, uh, give some uh, system permission to uh, access their, you know, Facebook data or Google uh, history or, or whatever and have that data go into a data union. So you don't actually have to run an app on your phone or anything to power that integration. You can just enable uh, a third party, okay, given it's centralized, but you know, this is one way to build it um, that can access the data on your behalf and uh, put it up for, uh, you know, monetization on a data marketplace and this kind of thing. So the threshold of actually getting that valuable data uh, out of various kind of social media platforms and other platforms will become much, much easier due to this regulation. Uh, but the internet giants will, of course, fight it. You know, they don't want to see this happen. Uh, they they implement the requirements of the regulations in a in the minimal possible way. You know, if the if the law says that you have to provide a way for people to 
get their data, then they will implement some mechanism where people can send a letter on paper to one of their departments and then they print out a PDF <laughs> containing all your data and mail it back to you. So <laughs> they, it's not like they will expose like a nice API to get like, uh, you know, programmatic access to that data unless the law requires them to do so. So, you know, they will always seek for ways to just fight back. Do we have any idea of what extent people's data is worth? Like, you know, if someone opens up their Facebook or, you know, these certain accounts or gives access, do we have any idea of what, you know, how this is aggregated, what the value of it is, or what people might get paid in return for certain types of data to kind of preview that to the client before they make the decision? Yeah, well, the, the ad tech industry alone is worth like so many billions and billions and billions. So, and that is just one use case, right? So, um, I think it can be very valuable and it, like if the data can be like efficiently sourced and, and, and utilized in an ethical and efficient way, I think people can even reach like a kind of basic income type of uh, revenue stream from the data that they as, as persons provide. You know, maybe it's nothing significant uh, like thousands of dollars per month or anything, but you know, even if it's uh, you know, 100 bucks or 300 bucks or something like this per, uh, per month, it, it, it's you know it's not nothing uh, if you know if everyone can get this maybe it will depend on you, on who, you know who you are and your you know your income level or where you are geographically based and this kind of stuff um, because maybe some people's data is just more valuable than somebody else's data of course uh, but you know it's uh, it's very hard to estimate because everything is a secret like the data is a secret today <laughs> the the money flows uh, are a secret today there's no way to break that up and like there's only one use case which is advertising that has been explored so far and there's an unknown amount of other use cases uh, that that are va uh, the value of which is also unknown <laughs> right so i think we've only seen the tip of the iceberg to be honest so you basically know? in the future maybe what we have or you have is through one of these grants is an application that can uh project a a quote to the person to allow that data to one of their um yeah. to sell their data right to one of the unions meaning the application yeah. will look at what the unions are getting for certain data and then be able to uh, look at the person's data and say you're estimated to get 20 to 30 dollars a month in range for your facebook data is that kind right, of right yeah exactly maybe there's like a you know app that acts as a portal into this maybe you enter some basic details like you know i'm male 37 years old living in switzerland working in crypto and then it presents you with a bunch of check boxes that you know facebook you know five bucks a month my yeah. Amazon purchases, you know, seven bucks a month. My browsing uh, behavior, fifteen bucks a month. You know, I can just click them on and off. <laughs> you know, and everything is anonymous, so you know, I don't need to be that uh, concerned about you know my 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 privacy, right? Uh, if the if I you know if the system is is built in in a privacy preserving uh, a way. So, so yeah, I think that that will probably be the the future and stuff that I don't want to share. You know, uh, yeah, you know, maybe there's a checkbox like share my, you know, when I visit adult sites or <laughs> whatever. Maybe yeah. maybe you don't check that one if you don't want to or or whatever. You know. So how do we how do we uh, how are you planning to incentivize more people to gain adoption? You know, quicker over the time over the years to come. So one tool I think is the data fund. So we can actually like uh, support builders to innovate and and build stuff. We also run a bunch of hackathons uh, on a pretty regular basis nowadays, and those always source uh, new ideas. And of course, the the enterprise track is very much alive uh, still, and we're trying to see ways how to find the kind of product market fit between our protocol and uh, the the various industries. 
out there, especially in the kind of uh, telecom sector, uh, as well as health, traffic, and mobility, uh, and, and these kind of places I think are the like early adopters for for this type of data. And of course, on the kind of supply side of, of technology itself, then there's the streamer token economics where uh, people can run nodes to to power the the network, and in that there will probably be like a, a kind of supply of tokens that uh, gets distributed as kind of well. In DeFi, it's called yield farming, but you kind of kind of get additional tokens for participating in, a, in addition to the kind of organic flow of money that comes from the from the demand side for the for the platform. So uh, so yeah, those are I think the tools that can be used to incentivize growth of both the underlying technology and the infrastructure, as well as the kind of application level. Uh, where people build things for actual use, uh, actual end users, and and the data economy. And how do you? Th- what are some other ways that you see will ultimately help with the value and drive the utility of the token uh, with adoption over time? I think the key thing will be to shift the token economics. So right now, it's uh, you know the token is like a shadow of what it's going to be. So uh, right now, it's used for payments on the marketplace or or the revenue sharing in data unions. But once the token economics kick in, then the real utility of the token uh, will be realized, and that will happen next year uh, once we reach the kind of uh, 1.0 version of <laughs> of Streamer and one aspect to token utility i think that that cannot be uh, emphasized enough is the importance of governance like we only started the token based voting this year and so far it's been a really useful i think for uh, for us and the community i think they get the sense of participation and being able to like influence the decisions and for us uh, you know we can present ideas and kind of reflect that from uh, from the token holders community and and kind of steer our work in that way so it's super uh, it's just super useful, and in traditional kind of companies and teams, like nothing like this is is really possible. Like you have your annual general meetings and mm-hmm. with, with shareholders, and, and that's it. So uh, and nobody ever says anything because the agenda is you know dry and and, and dull. <laughs> and you know, but I think this is the future of organizations and work and and projects, and it's just so refreshing and straightforward how how efficient these kind of processes can be with the help of tokenization uh, and uh, uh, and cryptography and blockchains and, and all of this. So, yeah, I think, I think we're living in the future. <laughs> so that, I agree. So with, with the proposals and participation and voting, uh, are you seeing, you're, are you saying you're considering a success so far and they, that it's going well? A good start. Yeah, the, the voting activity is not super big. We have like, no, fifteen percent of the supply voting uh, typically in the mm, in the proposals, uh, but it's the same uh, elsewhere in crypto. It's still it's still too hard, I think, for people to participate. A lot of people keep their tokens in exchanges, and if they do, they can't participate in the governance. You know, people are just not quite there yet. But uh, with the kind of usability improvements and the wallets and crypto in general going mainstream maybe it's due to cdbcs or something else mm-hmm. who knows i think that that will improve uh, so i think there's like a increasing trajectory in people's ability to participate in decision making of crypto projects well, i mean we went over so much today <laughs> we've been on a bit is there anything else that you want to leave us off with today or any last things we want to touch base on i guess my parting words is that uh, you know i think people in crypto 
are a curious bunch and you know that will take us very far i think us all together right uh, and you know we we welcome everyone to check out our technology uh, our token and and build stuff and interact with us we are here for you uh, not the other way around so well, what's the best way, Henry, for them to get a hold of you or dive more into the project and the token? Our well, of course, our website, which is at streamer.network. And by the way, streamer is spelled without the e in the end, so it's stream r. <laughs> the the story behind that is that back when we were poor pre ICO, we didn't have money to buy the network domain that contained <laughs> the e. So, so it's a good story. We, yeah, we modernized it in this kind of uh, misspelled. Uh, way and initially we were under streamer.com so that was even more uh, even more so and we actually own streamer.network even with the e but anyway go to streamer.network and you'll find our website and the the kind of most vibrant community is in discord so if you use discord uh, join that one and you'll be able to chat directly with the team as well as the rest of the community so that's the place where all the builders hang out that's where the team hangs out there's a bunch, a lot of token holders and speculators there as well. So you'll find your, you'll find your uh, clan on there for sure. Well, thanks for coming out again today. I enjoyed our conversation. Thanks a lot. It was a definite pleasure. Thanks, Joe.